Hello and welcome to the Add a Zero Business Podcast. We've made it our mission to inform, educate and inspire a million business owners to add a zeros to their personal disposable income so they can buy the home of their dreams, enjoy extensive exotic holidays with their family and fall back in love with their business by the lifestyle and freedom it now rewards them with. I'm Jay Allen, your host, and this is a special guest edition. So, you're a business owner dedicated to the significant and sustainable growth of both you and your business. Welcome to the Add a Zero podcast. I can't tell you exactly how excited I am to be able to interview somebody that I've held in such high regard as I do this man. From the moment he agreed to be able to do the interview, I've been like a cat on hot tin bricks. And you'll see in a a few minutes as to exactly why. Because today I'm going to be interviewing a guy that isn't just a national award winner, but an international award winner as a keynote speaker who works with over 20 to almost 50,000 people every year in order to be able to inspire them. Is a double, if not triple, Amazon number one author. And I'm thrilled to be able to say that he's with us right now. Ladies and gentlemen, please say hello to David Heiner. David, good morning. Today's Add a Zero special guest. Jay, I want to meet this guy. What an intro. Thank you. (laughs) I'm good, mate. I'm thrilled to be part of this challenge uh, with you. It sounds absolutely epic. Can't wait. Thanks very much. Uh, David, I've known you for a number of years now, and I've been grateful enough to have been interviewed for your podcast in the past. Um, But I was wondering, just for the people that have not heard of you before, I'm not quite sure where they've been for the last 20 years or so, but for the people that have not heard of you before, maybe you can just give us a little bit of background with regards to who was David Heiner and how's he got to the position that he's in right now? Okay, well, embarrassingly, David Heiner was a very average little guy from Birmingham, very average academically, started a little catering business. We were good at what we did, but we weren't growing the business. Like most business owners, I looked for somebody or something to blame, Uh, hired a consultant, they charged me a lot of money and told me I was the problem. So I got rid of them and uh, I hired somebody else. She was much better. She only took two days to tell me I was the problem. And at that point I had to eat a bit of humble pie. I realized that I was a micromanager, wouldn't delegate and was a control freak. So with, with that as a starting point, I thought, too scared to go back to education because I was a coward. And how can I learn how to be more effective? I was blessed, Jay, in that my customer list was the who's who of the West Midlands. We, I had entrepreneurs, captains of industry, football managers, you name it, they were my customers. And so I started asking them informally after a chat like we're having now, what is it you do differently to everyone else around you? How do you think and behave? And what they told me contradicted everything I'd ever read, been taught, experienced in my life. And the biggest thing we learned was how they set and achieve massive goals, because there are two words always used in goal setting, uh, realistic and achievable. And in to date now, 258 research interviews interviewing the, the great and the good from all over the world. Not one of them has suggested that they set realistic and achievable goals when I asked them how they set massive goals. So I started to apply what they were teaching me. I started to achieve things. Other people asked me if I'd go and share. I went, no, I'm not a speaker because I was a coward. Then they said, we'll pay you. And I went, really? <laughs> uh, 
well, <laughs> where do I sign? Uh, I was absolutely terrified. I was awful because uh, I was all very, it's all about me. Please make me feel significant. Tell me how good I am. Really shallow, pathetic stuff. But then I realized when people were using what I was giving them, the things they achieved, and literally like that, I had a moment where I went, I can make a real difference here. And I'm incredibly purpose-driven. I now set and encourage everyone to set massive goals. Brilliant. I, I can't tell you as to how much. I, well, like I say, I mean, I've, I've been looking forward to this for the last two or three weeks since we first agreed to do it. But um, just to be able to hear those words with regards to, you know, pushing the limits all the time. Um, yeah. Within the Add a Zero Challenge, we, we have this acronym called BFAG, um, Big, Fat, Hairy, Audacious Goals. And it's all about being able to say, whatever goal they initially come up with, we always say, yeah, but but what if we push that envelope even further? How far can we go? And yeah. by the sounds of it, you know, your your background is, is almost comparable to the Carnegie's, really, and Napoleon Hill with regards to interviewing 500 top professionals and going out and saying, how do they think differently? Well, when I'd interviewed half a dozen people, and I was quite evangelic, my wife would say, about the information I was hearing, and it became an obsession interviewing people, these people, uh, people kept saying, Dave, you ought to read this book, and it was Napoleon Hill's Stink and Grow Rich. My True North. Recommended reading. And I'll be honest with you, being a sceptical little brummy, I, I kind of dismissed it because of the gold bullion bars on the front cover and the title and the way it was written for the American market. Yeah. But I was at least big enough to see past that and say, well, actually, at least it's research-based. And he's interviewed all these people. Maybe I could become a researcher. And it was that book that actually started me thinking, I can turn this into more than a hobby and actually really serve myself and other people. So I owe a lot to that book. Which is absolutely ridiculous because I didn't even know the, the comparables. We haven't spoken about that previously. And yet as any of our customers come on board when they first convert and become a customer, the first thing that I do is I present them with a book of Think and Grow Rich and say, you need to read this before we start working together so you get what we talk about. And there's a box down there of 46 copies that have arrived in the last week or so. I order them at 50 copies at a time these days. And as people convert, they get posted a copy of Think and Grow Rich with a little letter from me in the, in the forwards to be able to say, once you've read this, we're ready to work together. That, that, that's just ridiculous. It is. And... And also, not, not just about the massive goals, but in that book, I also learned something else that I'm nuts about, which is about masterminding. And the only issue I have with the whole book thing is, is that it suggests that, therefore, masterminding started in America, and it didn't, because I'm a Brummie, I did my research, started in the West Midlands in Birmingham. <laughs> <laughs> so we are now speaking at the epicentre of where all of this originated from, Absolutely. So one of the most modern thinking Dale Carnegie's of his time. The Lunar Society, um, be careful what you research if you search online for this, because there's lots of weird stuff about Luna. Um, but the Lunar Society were a group of men who, at the turn of the Industrial Revolution, used to meet in stately homes around the West Midlands. And when I say the great and the good, I mean, historians would know their names. But people like James Watt, Dalton, Galton, Wedgwood, they, Benjamin Franklin used to travel from America for these meetings. Such was the power and the influence of them. And these men came up with challenges. I'm a bit like your meetings. They would support each other and hold each other accountable. And their goals didn't just double turnover, mate. They changed the world. They, these men in these meetings gave birth to the Industrial Revolution. 
Uh, and that happened in West, the West Midlands of England. Yep. Um, Rule Britannia. <laughs> Dave, I've, I've entitled today's talk, Smart Isn't That Smart. And we've already started to be able to delve a little bit, you know, for the people that have already previously read or can slightly remember in the past, we talked about, you know, specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, time-bound goals. You know, in corporate life, we hear lots about these smart objectives. But your research from 258 of the, the top people in the industry around the world right now is demonstrating that smart is quite stupid. Every single person I interviewed, be it sport, industry, entrepreneurs, scientists, inventors, academics, entertainers, authors, rock stars, even one politician, in these 258 research interviews, not one of them set SMART goals. In fact, many of them would mock SMART goals. Tim Watts, chairman and CEO and founder of the Pertemps Group, at the time of interview, Europe's largest recruitment company, he said, when I said, are you aware that people are taught to set realistic goals? He says, I set big, fat, hairy goals down. He says, if people set SMART goals, they're setting themselves up for mediocrity at best. But when I was hearing all this, Jay, the thing that excited me the most was being a sceptical little brummy with my head on. I went, OK, so if everyone's being taught SMART goals, there must be some credibility in its, in its foundation, at least. So I did my research. I tracked down what SMART goals are based upon, and the guy who came up with it was a guy called George T. Duran. George T. Duran was a project manager in the United States, and he worked on multi-billion dollar water utility projects, colossal projects. He's quoted in virtually every business school, every business management training course you'll ever go on, and indeed in the project management world, as saying, your goals should be SMART. I cannot find one quote next to his name of him having said that. I can find seven quotes where he says things like, when working on really large projects, the steps to your goal should be smart. <laughs> this stuff is taught on the MBA and in every recognised business school on the planet, Jay, and yet top achievers say that's setting us up for mediocrity at best. Yeah. So I urge everybody listening to this to get on Jay's programme and step <laughs> up and set a big, fat, airy one. Absolutely. It, it also reminds me of uh, of perhaps another book that I no doubt that you're uh, most familiar with. is Jim Collins, the other researcher, and Good to Great. My True North. Recommended reading. Where he looked at 500 business owners and looked at the transformation that 250 made from what he called good already sound businesses to become great businesses. And he measures great as 17 times the amount of growth as the good companies in the same time period. Wow. Not 17% growth, 17 times growth against their good competitor. And often it comes down to, although there's a whole myriad of things within the book that it talks about contributory factors, one of the three fundamental factors was where the people at the top came together, shared ideas, thoughts and suggestions, thought outside the box and completely revolutionised the goal setting of the business. And it wasn't just a case of how are we going to get market share, it was how are we going to get market dominance. Love it. <laughs> Love it. There, there was a lovely quote in there about Hewlett-Packard. I'm not sure if you're, you know the history of Hewlett-Packard, but they started off as paper merchants and owning paper mills. 
and it was an exceptionally competitive industry. Paper prices were being driven down and down and down. The demand for paper was being driven up and up and up. And the margins were just being squeezed and squeezed and squeezed. That unless you got a massive big corporate entity like Hewlett Packard owned, that you were literally working to be able to put bread and butter on the table, but not a lot else. And they wow. brought in a new system, a, a new team of, of dynamic managers to be able to work collectively, to come together and say, we've got to do something different here or we're going to get strangled. And they said, we're going to go into print. And we're not going to continue to build the, make the paper that the print is printed on. We're going to go into print because print and predominantly technology in print looks like it's going to be the next big thing. We're going to go into print. And the trustees said, that's, that's a wonderful idea. It's a harebrained idea. It's completely out there and zany. We haven't got any money. We're being strangled on all our margins. And they said, yeah, well, that's really easy because we're going to sell all of our paper mills to pay for it. And, you know, if, if you look at the military perspective, when you land, burn the boats because we ain't going home. <laughs> I love it. Love it. Yeah, that, 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 that kind of reinforces sort of the, the attitude of the top achievers I've interviewed. You know, they, they say, try and remove the word try from your vocabulary. You know, there's nothing wrong with saying I'm not going to do that because at least you've made a decision. Yes. You know, N Nigel Vider, the mountaineer, he says, he says you don't try, you, you either do or you don't. Because otherwise you die. If you, because if you try is just an excuse to say I might not, isn't it? Yeah, and, and as soon as you procrastinate, it just builds this self-perpetuating circle of doubt and you end up even if you do end up taking action it's nowhere near as impactful as if you just go rhino absolutely ah so you've now brought the brand in so let's talk a little bit about going rhino well i have to be very careful here jay because everyone because i mention in a two-minute part of a two-hour workshop <laughs> um, Careful what you're known for. Uh, <laughs> I talk about cows and rhinos, which comes from a book called Rhinoceros Success by Scott Alexander. Okay. It's uh, it's it's a it's a crazy uh, crazy popular psychology book on positive thinking. And when I've asked top achievers, is there one book that has really made you take action? Not that that's a great book. I mean, made you do something above any business book, strategy book, biography, or autobiography. The most common book read was Rhinoceros Success. Wow. And it's it's all about, it's a cheap little story about you're either a cow or a rhino. 97% of the population behave like cows, 3% like rhinos. Cows procrastinate and are more concerned about what their mates think of them. Rhinos see what they want, boom, go for it, having it. And, and everyone just dismisses it because of its simplicity. And yet, Professor Alan Watkins, who was one of the pioneers of positive psychology, He'd never heard of this book, but his research proved everything in the book to be true. So, and every top achiever I interview go, yeah, yep, sounds right to me. Everyone else goes, ridiculous, fluffy nonsense. I know who I'm back here. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So if we've established that smart is rather dumb and we need to challenge the concept of achievable and realistic because we're thinking like a cow and not by a rhino, Dave, what do we replace it with? Massive goals. I actually get quite overwhelmed and truly in the sense of the word humbled by what people do when they have a purpose driven 
massive goal. People mistake purpose as a goal. It's not. The purpose is the reason to do it. It's the cause. It's the, the justification for the goal. But most people dismiss purpose as fluffy, woolly nonsense, sandals and candles chanting on, when, when actually most top achievers I've interviewed can clearly state their purpose like that. And that determines how day to day, minute by minute, they think, behave, take action. And their results that they get are 10 times the people who start with, this is the result we want. Yeah. So it, it's just magnified massively. Those with a purpose-driven goal outachieve everybody else colossally. So I would replace it with massive goals and a purpose that drives it. A re and my favorite quote here is, have a purpose, a reason why you must achieve your goal that is so much bigger than any fear or insecurity you have around the goal. If you've got that, as you can say, you can burn the boats and be joyful as they burn. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because there's no going back. It's ironic because, I mean, although I've shared with you very briefly that we're running this as part of the Add a Zero Business Challenge, we haven't mentioned, prior to right now, the eight segments of a business and the first segment, which I believe, I mean, I've, I've based it all around the My True North Compass and the eight points of the compass. But the first point that I believe in any business, regardless of whether it's a startup or a concept or something that's already existing and quite substantial, is you've got to go back to your vision, your values, your purpose and the culture within the business and make sure that the foundations are right and you've got the right people on board with the right vision and values the right purpose to be there and the, the, the right culture within the environments to be able to create that before you start thinking about exactly what business you're in. Can I add one more to that list? Please. <laughs> because when people talk about purpose, immediately they go to values because it's easier, safer, and we feel comfortable talking about our values. And yet when I interview people like Professor Adrian Furnham, who by any measurement is Europe's leading psychologist, this bloke's so clever that if you and I stand next to him, we get clever through osmosis. Um, <laughs> and, and people of his magnitude and talking about purpose, they don't just talk about values. They also talk about our insecurities and our weaknesses. Mm -hmm. He said, if you only do things that are values driven, you might have a good time, but sooner or later, your insecurities are going to crop up. He said, so why don't you do things where you understand both at their core and how they drive you or hold you back mm -hmm. and then make decisions where your values are met and your insecurities are satisfied and you become unstoppable because you only then do things that are totally congruent with who you are as a whole person instead of just half a person. Yeah. Yeah. And that has been, for me personally and for many people that I've coached through the purpose process, I would say the most significant life and business changing thing that people can do Absolutely. is to not just look at the cool stuff, the values, but really understand your insecurities and then work with them rather than dismiss them. Uh, allow that to be a fuel to your fire as opposed to it being something that you lock away in a cupboard somewhere. Yep, yep. And, and, and people say, but Dave, doesn't that mean you give in to your insecurities if you do things where they're, they're not going to be cropping up? And Professor Furnham went, yeah. He says, because most, most people will not go and get therapy or counselling or coaching to overcome their insecurities. So if you're not going to, and you can, but if you don't, you may as well use them as a strengthening decision-making process and only do things where they're not going to crop up. And do you know what? Perfect sense. 
Yeah, absolutely. When you can get everything aligned, that whether it's a strength or a weakness, it's still supporting what you're aiming to achieve. Then it doesn't matter how you feel or what you do or where you are. You've still got something, be it a positive or a negative. I call it either the golden carrot or the big stick that still drives you in the same direction. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's interesting. I don't know if you can see behind me. I've got a, a cinema poster of uh, of Machine Gun Preacher, which by some margin is my favourite film of all time. I don't know if you know the story about Machine Gun Preacher, but I can certainly recommend it as one of my top five films of all time. And it's where okay. somebody who's gone on a certain track and realises that if he continues on that track, he's going to end up in a box far sooner than he would like to. And he uses his weakness to become his strength, to be able to say, if I'm going to be terrible at something, then let's make sure that other people benefit from me being terrible at something. Let's make sure that we can find some some purpose. And he finds God, he goes over to one of the most incredibly corrupt countries in the world and starts freeing kids from child slavery as a result of this inspirational moment that says, do you know what? They need the skills that I've got, even though the skills I've got aren't within their current remit or recess. I need to be able to go over there and demonstrate my services to them rather than just ask them if they would like it. Because if I tell them that I'm coming, they'll say, not on your Nelly, pal. You're a bad guy and I don't want anything to do with you. And in actual fact, the the, the purpose of the, the mission, uh, and in a Christian sense, the mission of the, of, the, of the whole film, the purpose needs to be fulfilled. And everyone trying to achieve it was ball being nice and friendly and fluffy. They had a vision. They had a set of values. Um, and what they didn't realise, it's something that resonates with me so strongly from my time in Bosnia, is the fact that it's all right that we've signed up to the Geneva Convention, but none of the enemy have. And you're not fair fighting a fair battle. And to me, it sounds like that we're all fighting in our heads this, this concept of I've got to only play to my strengths. And we haven't yet understood that we can actually play to our weaknesses as well and the two combine and create something wonderful. Magic. Love it. Love it. We, <laughs> we really want to have it. We could, we could speak for hours over a beer on this one. I was going to say, I'm, I'm sure we could do a hell of a lot more than we're going to do in, in this interview. Maybe this has to be one of a series. I don't know. Dave, I'm intrigued to find out maybe if you could just share a, a brief idea or a concept with regards to where you've helped somebody. We don't necessarily name names as such, but where, where you've met somebody who's had scepticism about this and yet where they've had that light bulb moment and it's subsequently gone on other than, you know, in your own career. OK, well, both for massive goals and also for something else we talk about, which, again, top achievers do when they're setting a massive goal. There's a quote by the British 400 metres athlete Chris Akabuse, and he says that top achievers should be looked into, not up to. Now, it's a very simple thing of get a mentor, but make sure that they're at the very highest level. Don't go to average people for information, otherwise you're going to get average information at best. Something I've really took on board. And I share this with everyone I speak to, everyone, every single year, you know, between 20 and 50,000 people a year. And I've got not hundreds, thousands of examples and true stories of people who've got mentored at an insane level. But my favourite stories of a very sceptical teenage girl in a sixth form in Worcestershire okay. who was, I mean, she was like twice as tall as me, half my, half my width, long straight hair, big glasses. And, and she was really nervous and she wanted to go into international politics. 
And yeah, I said, okay. I said, you know, you might need to work on confidence, maybe. Why don't you do what Chris said? Get yourself a mentor at the highest level. Speak to a politician. She went, me? Speak to a politician? I went, yes. She walked off. Now, I have that effect on women. Um, and nothing happened for about eight weeks. And then the phone rang, and it was the head teacher of the school who informed me that she'd written a letter with her parents and the school support to the White House. And he started off playing a trick on me because he said, Dave, he says, we've had head of security at the White House Washington on the phone to us four times checking out the school, her, her family. And internally, I was going, OMG, I am in such deep trouble now. <laughs> and it, it transpired that she not only got a two-page handwritten letter by Barack Obama, she got mentored by him. Good grief. Now... Is that going to look good on a UCAS application form? Mentor, Barack Obama. <laughs> we had a, a business school lecturer from Loughborough Business School, got a wonderful man called Andy Cope, Andrew Cope, uh, who came up to me after, after hiring me and me giving my talk to the business school I, MBA and ILM programme. And he says, Dave, that was brilliant, but we can't have you back. I went, hey, <laughs> what? says no we're just we're teaching realistic and achievable goals i went oh no and then he went anyway i can't achieve my goal i went why what's your goal and he said i want to be a best-selling children's author said, go on then and he says i can't and he started listing his excuses he was going Meh. you know very cow yeah and in the end went, andy try and prove it wrong don't dismiss it that's too easy be skeptical try and prove it wrong but i will i thought no I thought, if I can have academic proves me wrong, that's my career. Over. Never heard a thing for two years. And then through the post, I got a signed copy of his first book published by Penguin that beat J.K. Rowling's children's book of the year. His second book, imaginatively, <laughs> very imaginatively on the same theme. He wrote children's books about his dog called Spy Dog. It's like a British Scooby-Doo. Okay. And his books went stellar. I mean, he, he's now got 24 books in the series. He's a global best-selling children's author. And all he did was set massive, big, fat, hairy goals. Absolutely. Mm. You're speaking straight to my heart. It's going through my head and it's just going straight here because my second book is called The Roads to Utopia, but how to take a shortcut. Now, at the time I wrote it, yes, it's a big, fat, hairy, audacious goal. And at the time I wrote it, I haven't got a sodding clue how I was going to achieve it. But the simple fact is, it was that first goal was originated about four and a half, five years ago. And yes, I'm only about 35, 36% towards my goal with regards to what I need to do to achieve it. And yes, I've only got about 22, 23 months left 22 months at the moment at the time of recording this in order to be able to achieve that but i know that i'm still on the right trajectory that we've got momentum now that the next 60 percent should come in the next 18 months in order to still remain on target wow wow doesn't surprise me <laughs> You know, there's a lovely expression from, I think it's Henry Ford, I might be completely wrong, but uh, no, no, it's, it's Einstein. It's even better than that, it's Einstein. And he simply says, you will never overcome a problem with the same level of thinking that that, that caused it. True. Um, yeah. we, we've got to think bigger if we want bigger. And what you're saying is as long as we've got a purpose and the purpose is big enough, 
that in actual fact both strengths and weaknesses can work collectively in order to be able to work towards purpose. And we have to stop seeking acceptance from other people as well. So the, I don't know what you experienced, Jay, but when I work with it, students in high schools right up to chief execs or big conferences, it doesn't matter what the audience is or the demographic of the audience, all I see is fear in the audience and it's and it's people being far more afraid of what other people think of them than them trying to find out how good they can be. Yeah, absolutely. And if, absolutely. And if they just took that energy that they put into just fitting in and seeking acceptance into this is where I'm going. Yeah, yeah. Smash I, it. I must admit, when I come across people that have got that internal, external fear dialogue going on, I often recommend that they read Ben Hunt Davis's book, Will It Make the Boat Go Faster? And it looks at a phenomenal story of how Ben Hunt Davis, as number seven in the England eights of the rowing team, changed the dynamic of where the thought process was. Instead of, can we beat the Australians? We've got to try and beat the Australians. The Australians are the world leaders. They've got gold for the last four medals. We've got to try and beat the Australians. This external dialogue that continually compares us to somebody else. They change the dialogue to an internal dialogue that says, will it make the boat go faster? Will whatever I do now, will drinking this coffee make the boat go faster? Probably not. Okay, so I'll replace the, the coffee with something that might, like a metabolic drink or something like that sort of stuff. If I meet my team members six hours a day, every day, and we train together, we eat together, we exercise together, we go on holiday together, if I work collectively as a team, is that likely to, to contribute my boat going faster? Mm, probably. Okay, so we'll do that. And it was just an internal dialogue of what is the big, hairy, fat mission statements? What do we want to achieve? And how do I overcome all of the external dialogue about comparing us to other people in order that we can be the best that we can be? We can become elitist of ourselves. And ironically, the Olympics prior to that, England 8 had come fifth in the semis, and the final is only the top four boats. So we hadn't even got into the finals because we'd used a dialogue that said, I'm comparing ourselves to somebody else all the time. And for four years, the only thing that changed, it wasn't, it wasn't a change of coach or of boat or of training mechanism, it was a change of dialogue that said, what can we achieve if we just set our own standards and try and beat and it's almost a kaizen philosophy of incremental improvements all the time in every single aspect of life not only were they in the finals not only did they beat australians by about two-thirds of a boat but they set a new world record wow there's a there's a wonderful quote by an accountant called Carl George. Um, he, ha he has a philosophy that whatever he decides to do in his life, it will be top 10%. Okay. And the, the title of his book, and it's the mantra. Can, can you imagine, Jay, the pressure he puts himself under having this as your raison d'etre for everything you do? Okay. The quote is, other people try, I make sure. Wow. <laughs> If I have anything to do with it, when you meet this guy, you will, you will, you will say, "Wow, he's a very impressive man." I was going to say. Impressive. I mean, we started this interview talking about the word "try" and how to eradicate it from a diary, 
and we're yep. coming to a close of the interview when we've come back to everybody else talks about try and I simply <laughs> say let's let's get on with it and let's do it and be in the top 10% regardless that's some statement from an accountant yep yep he's an awesome man awesome guy <laughs> David, I can't tell you as to how grateful I am that you've been willing to share some time and some thoughts with us this morning. Um, My privilege. I'd be really keen if people who've got inspired from this, as I have, as to be able to have to reach out to you. So perhaps you can give us a, a, a brief resume with regards to how do people find Mr. David Heiner? Where do you want to point or send people if they want to be able to get in touch and learn more about the expertise that you have in this field of purpose and big, fat, hairy goals? If people want some real value or even the process that we use to help people set and achieve massive goals, I've got a video course on the sort of that global training video website called Udemy, U-D-E-M-Y dot com. If they just go to Udemy dot com and put David Heiner in, up it will come. It's called the Massive Goal Principle. I'll make sure I put a link in the bottom of this so people can just click on the link. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Not at all. David, I can't tell you as to how grateful I am for the fact that you've shared some time and some thoughts with us this morning. But for now, I'd like to offer mine and the team's thanks to you for spending the time with this morning and sharing some exceptional value with the other people that are on the Add a Zero Business Challenge. Thanks very much. I look forward to seeing you soon. My privilege, Jay. Thanks a lot. That's all for this episode. As always, we really thank you for listening and welcome your comments, thoughts, and suggestions. So please do drop us a line by emailing podcast at mytruenorth.biz. And don't forget, if you haven't already done so, hit the subscribe button on whichever platform you're listening to this through. And tell your colleagues and business network all about who we are and our mission to help 10,000 business owners add a zero to their personal disposable income. You've been listening to the Add a Zero podcast presented by Jay Allen, listed on the UK Clear Business Thinking Power 100. Brought to you in association with My True North, the UK's leading ethical coaching company, as part of our mission to help 10,000 business owners add a zero to their personal disposable income.